From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, December 7th. When Utah was ranked the worst state in the nation for women's equality for the fourth time in a row this year, researchers at Utah State University asked, what can we do about this? Look at the the statistics, go back to the sources. Let's understand why we get these rankings. And then are, are there things that we can change to do? Because this is not great. Dr. Susan Madsen is the founder and director of USU's Utah Women in Leadership Project. Finance website Wallet Hub released these equality rankings over the summer. USU's researchers then took time to dig into the numbers. They found Wallet Hub's sources credible and that Utah was indeed consistently failing women in a few key areas workplace environment, health and education, and political empowerment. I was fascinated with the political empowerment because there's some quick takeaways and turnarounds that we as a public can can do. And the first one of the four is elect a woman to the U.S. Senate. Electing more women to political office is just one of the recommendations that the Utah Women in Leadership Project says will improve gender equality here. There's also raising the minimum wage and creating more flexible, family-friendly workplace policies. Their white paper acknowledges that cultural influences may be affecting Utah's low rankings in women's equality. More than 60 percent of Utah's population are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The paper says LDS culture could be influencing outcomes related to the state's gender wage gap or opportunities for women to hold leadership positions outside the home. Any religious environment, no matter what religion, no matter what Christian, non-Christian, whatever, typically struggle with gender issues. And that is because most religions say, well, men should be doing this, women should be doing that. Madsen herself is a member of the LDS Church. She understands the cultural perceptions that may be working against things like closing the gender wage gap. In Utah, women earn on average 30 percent less than men. And I'll tell you, there's been an assumption in the state of Utah that all families have a father and a mother, and all families do this and that. And so the wage gap shouldn't be a big deal because her husband is probably working. Well, look at our state. I mean, we have so many single mothers. And so the wage gap or some of these issues, they change people's lives. USU's deep dive into Utah's last place rankings for women's equality does not offer a complete picture of women in the state. Madsen points out that Utah has ranked high with research in other areas like volunteerism, where women play a major role. And the equality rankings don't dig into data on women of color or women in the LGBTQ plus community and how equality is different for more marginalized communities. Madsen says there is ongoing research happening in her department on women of color, particularly Asian and Latinx women in Utah. The Utah Women in Leadership Project is right now creating an online dashboard to group all their research over the years so that state leaders, organizations, and workplaces can easily access the information and help make change for Utah women. It warms my heart when when I hear people are saying, okay, we're going to use this to actually change, not just to read it and find it interesting, but I talk about the head, heart, and hands 
that that you use it in your head, then you feel it, but then you do something with your hands. You actually make changes. And that's what my hope is. To read the policy recommendations on improving women's equality in Utah, find links in the show notes. What does fish food have in common with methane flaring? More than you'd think, according to a new study published in the journal Nature, Justin Higginbottom spoke with a researcher about a novel use for methane in our state. Sahar El Abadi is a scientist interested in methanotropic bacteria. That's bacteria which turns methane into biomass. It's a cool trick, and her Stanford lab looks for applications like this. What is the potential of this technology of using methanotrophic bacteria as a means to incentivize the capture of stranded methane? Like methane that is vented and flared from oil and gas operations in Utah, satellite images have shown a hot spot of the greenhouse gas over the Four Corners region. And a recent study from the University of Utah shows a high methane leakage rate in the Uinta Basin, up to 8%. El Abadi's idea is for bacteria to feed off this gas and create a simple protein that can be used for fish feed. These large emitters of methane, they can produce a methanotrophic protein that's very cost effective that undercuts the 10-year average price of fish meal. Providing an alternative source of fish meal helps with another problem. What fish meal is that's currently used in animal feeds is we harvest fish from the ocean, these sort of smaller, lower trophic level fish that are important for oceans, ecosystems, and we sort of grind them up and dry them and use them in animal feeds, especially for aquaculture. However, this is very destructive to the world's oceans. And so what methanotrophs are is basically it's an alternative protein to fish meal. There's a lot of interest in finding value in stranded methane. Last year, near Moab, a company converted their flared methane into electricity to run a cryptocurrency mining operation. President Biden recently pledged to help reduce methane emissions, and newly proposed EPA regulations seek to end venting. El Abadi says the application of her lab's idea depends on the site. Many oil and gas facilities are pretty remote, which makes supporting a biomass operation difficult. And she says, so far, this simple protein is only for the fishes. There is interest scientifically in using bacteria as an alternative protein for human food, but I think there are a couple of other challenges there, and acceptability is probably one of them, if people are actually going to want to eat this. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Hundreds of scientists, tribal leaders, and state officials are meeting next week to talk about the future of the West's main water source the Colorado River. As the Mountain West News Bureau's Nate Hedgie explains, some environmental groups are calling on states to tighten their belts. The Colorado River supplies drinking water for millions of people in the West, but a severe, prolonged drought in the region is helping dry that river up. Its reservoirs are at record low levels. Earlier this year, the federal government cut the amount of water some states like Nevada and Arizona can use. Now leaders are meeting in Las Vegas for the annual Colorado River Water Users Association Conference. It's a three-day event where they'll share insights and ideas about how to best manage the river. Zach Frankel is with the nonprofit Utah Rivers Council. He wants to hear a serious conversation about banning new water diversion projects for farming or development along the Colorado. It is madness to overspend the bank account of the Colorado River 
while the income is shrinking so dramatically. Next year is the 100th anniversary of the Colorado River Compact. It was the first document spelling out how much water U.S. states and Mexico can use. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Nate Hedgie. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, December 7th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.